Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at... Longhorn Pod. You can, you can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, the Longhorn Republic. Uh, and then you can also just subscribe to the podcast if you're not already doing that. We'd love to have you as part of what we do here. Normally twice a week, but this week was weird, so we just did once a week. Uh, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's just as excited as all bowl team player B. John Robinson. Kyle Carpenter, Kyle, how are you? I thought you were going to make the natural all gas, no brakes tie-in to Valero. Valero, suppliers of gas from the Texas area. Um, nice. Please sponsor us. Uh, but yeah, I mean, come on, Steve Sarkeesian, do you get the all gas, no brakes coach? You're in the uh, all gas bowls before he gets there. Valero, Valero, Valero. Um, Alamo Bowl, that is. But, uh, you know, I, there, there's some synergies forming here, Gerald. As, as former um, longtime uh, seeker, of Fuddruckers podcast uh, endorsement. Maybe if they endorse here, they would still be in business. I'm just going to say Valero. Advertise here. Advertise. This is the podcast of all all gas, no break. Avoid the Fuddruckers curse and advertise with us. Now, as I was watching Bijan respond and react to Sark last night, all I could think of is the angles that he's sending these snaps from are all of the angles that people in their <laughs> 30s avoid taking pictures from, which it just took me back to when he bent in half earlier in the season and got up and jogged off. Like, I slept funny over, like, last week and had to, like, change all of my workouts this last week because my back... Back felt weird. Like that's the difference between nineteen and thirty-five. It's really tough. I mean, there there is also something to be said beyond just age. Um, there was that video in the preseason of of Bijan catching passes shirtless, the pretty close up, and and he had more abs when his back was turned to us to the camera than than we've had combined on our best day, Gerald. So uh, that might have something to do with it too. I don't know. Very very possible, but. So we've got a lot to talk about today. We're just going to drop one show uh, because, well, there was a lot of news happening and we felt like a Wednesday drop would hit most of the stuff we needed to hit. So uh, we'll talk about Steve Sarkeesian's introduction. We'll talk about uh, Armani Winfield, who committed fresh off of the Steve Sarkeesian um, National Championship win. Men's basketball, wild win in Morgantown over the weekend. Women's basketball struggled. We'll down the 40 We'll actually do some burnt orange lenses and some Godzilla Tron because we got one show this week. And then we'll close the show out with some down the 40 and we'll bang the drum. So the biggest news of the week is the introduction of new head coach Steve Sarkeesian. Fresh off of, um, there's no other way to say this, an absolute shellacking of Ohio State. Dropped a 50 burger on him. Literally flew straight from... South Beach to Austin, Texas to have his introduction Tuesday at four. Uh, before he got there, he and his wife toured the field. He fired Smokey. He met Bevo, did all of the things, uh, and then went to his introductory press conference, did um, had, had his opening statements, obviously, and talked about you know, Texas and high school coaches and then took questions. But Kyle, as we as we think about um, Sark and his his introduction. What were your, what were your first impressions? Because this was really like they did that awkward Zoom call, right? But like this was his first real uh, introduction. So like, what were your first ish impressions of the new head coach? 
Well, the first impression was the man looks like a movie star with Texas social media behind him. I mean, it really looked like uh, just him getting off the plane, him getting on the bus, him entering uh, DKR. It looked so incredibly cinematic. Um, I I would pay any amount of money to uh, if if I ever got to. I think we should we should talk to Texas social media potentially enter them. I don't know if there's a make a wish portal, but if I were, you know, offering up to someone who was looking for their wish to be fulfilled or make a wish, I think you could do worse than Texas social media team following you around for a day, just making everything you do look utterly dramatic. But once Sarkeesian got uh, behind the podium, um, I felt really, really good just listening to him talk. And obviously, right, this is the time to drown in the Kool-Aid. Don't just drink it, just drown in it. Uh, Gerald and I are both advocating, you know, sunshine pumping and optimism, but um, there, there's nothing wrong. It's the way we always want the second quarterback and the, the, the offensive coordinator in non-Alabama cases should be fired. Um, there are certain tropes. Um, a new coach is, is you know, the best coach in the country a, a fresh sign recruiting classes is, is certainly the best it's underrated or perfectly rated if you're at the top but whatever you know until you've proven something there's nothing to have but optimism but i'm fully in that stage of optimism i thought the way he talked um just se- seemed right he said the right things and, and there is something to be said for that it seemed like even if there were answers that were kind of canned or pandering or you know mentioning the texas high school football coaches and how ut's their program Someone told him to say that, hopefully Mac Brown, um, and he's listening. But but that's the point. He's listening. He's listening and saying the right things. Didn't take too many shots at Aggies, but made sure that everyone knows Texas is the flagship program of the state. You know, really focused, said this is going to be a player-driven uh, program, Focus on the players. I mean, if I'm a player and I'm hearing just the way he talks, the way he performs, um, all of those things, I had to be excited. And, and I think, you know, he, he kept saying – you know, multiple times to various questions that his goal, and he, you know, is humble about it, but the thing that he thinks he can do differently, that he can bring to the program, that is one of his strengths, all of those ways he answered it was to say he creates authentic relationships at every level with his players, with his staff, with the boosters, with the, you know, administrators at the university, with the players' families, and and, and just, you know, until I see otherwise, I'm going to choose to believe him. If he's going in here kind of humbly and authentically, um, then I think he's got the the right stuff, obviously, in the X's and O's. But Texas, the Texas job is always bigger than the X's and O's. No, no one found that out harder probably than Charlie Strong, uh, and some could say Tom Herman. But, uh, you know, it seems like he obviously has that. We've seen the X's and O's just unbelievably and we could talk about that national championship game in this in general Bama season, but it seems like he's got the soft stuff figured out too. So in spite of like his, everything about him, Tom Herman always had this weird reputation with people that he didn't quite get Texas and didn't quite get, you know, what it meant to be the coach of the university of Texas and blah, 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 blah. Right. Guys, a guys, an alum and he coached here before. And like, you know, you've got all that, but like Sark hit all the right notes. When you look at the the presser and you look at the things you talked about, you looked at like it looked like he kind of took the boilerplate of everything that like if you if you you had a bingo card that and not in like a reductive way, it's not a bad thing, but if you took a bingo card of all the things that a Texas coach should say at their introductory press conference, he said all the things. And that to me was impressive. That to me really was you know, Herman kind of came in and really wanted to he wanted to be the big stack, and he wanted to push that in too early before he had earned the cachet. And I think it seems like Sarkeesian is is doing all of the right things and kind of playing his role and playing his part. And so I think that's going to be um, 
good because again, like you said, Tom Herman didn't make a couple of friends. I think the 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 concern that a lot of people have is is recruiting Texas, and especially for a guy who's very West Coast, and it looks like from all accounts, his staff is going to skew very West Coast as well, or very coastal. So, like he's got to get in good with the high school coaches. He's got to get, but again. I think Sark knows that if he it builds genuine relationships, the logo on his chest will get him in with high school coaches. And I think that's the thing you have to remember because like Tom Herman expected to have uh, from reports, right? Tom Herman kind of expected to, to have this status and this relationship just because he was the coach of the university of Texas. But I think for, for Sark based on everything that we read, everything we heard, like, He's a relationship builder, and the fact that he's the coach of the University of Texas will open those doors for him if he's genuine and builds legitimate relationships. So I think that, for me, uh, is the big thing. And he talked about the boosters. He talked about the tradition and the the iconic logo and the look and the feel. So, like, he really he seems to get it, right? And for somebody who's been at some of the most iconic programs in the like in college football, USC, Alabama, like he he knows tradition, he knows uh, the pomp and circumstance, for lack of a better term, that goes along with being a coach at one of these types of institutions. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, it didn't seem like that national championship game was too big for him, right? He felt entirely comfortable too comfortable honestly the way he was calling up that that game right you said he's been at these large institutions um he's coached in the nfl you know to a super bowl level he is he is um you know he, he he's won he's done it uh it's never felt too big and so i don't think texas will but just to quickly kind of talk about it the way everyone in the country even even the casual fan understood that the best player in the country this year was a receiver. And that receiver happened to play on Alabama and he was number six and he was kind of a skinny guy, real fast guy. But everyone, your grandmother understood coming into that game that the best player on the field was Devonta Smith. And the way that Sark was able to continually scheme, whether it was alignments, formations, motion, um, misdirection constantly to get him and also, you know, Heisman finalist, uh, Najee Harris, uh, into positions of success time and time and time and time again is unbelievably exciting. We have plenty of time and runway in the off season to talk about what that means for Texas and who the, the guys, you know, that really could thrive on a Sarkeesian type offense, cough, Bijan, uh, cough, Josh Moore. But, um, I'll, I'll throw another cough for Whittington. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, cough, Jake Smith and, and Jake Smith, right. That gosh, that sounds amazing. We could podcast pivot. Let's just do that for a while. No, um, we'll get there, but just the, the ability to every, I mean, every coach player assistant on the Ohio state sideline knew to look for number six and somehow number six just kept getting open. Now let's not pretend like he's not an unbelievable player um, surrounded by unbelievable players and, and Sarkeesian's just, you know, using unbelievable talent, but still there was unbelievable talent at the offensive game plan. And the fact that he did that, did all of that game plan perfectly executed perfectly and spent time looking at the Texas roster, talking to Texas players, talking to recruits, talking to uh, aligning a future, you know, staff and, and, then Nick Saban goes in his pr- presser and praises Sarkeesian for the job he's done balancing the two, the job he's done with the offense this season, the job he's done just growing and how much better of a coach he is uh, now and, and how successful he thinks he's going to be. The fact that Nick Saban was spending his time when he could have been recruiting uh, to praise an outgoing coach, I think tells you a lot, a lot about the type of guy Sarkeesian is and just the way he's viewed in the greater football world by his peers. Yeah, and that's that I think is, and this is not to be 
reductive and this is not to be whatever but like i think part of the allure of sark is that texas missed on the offensive mastermind they brought in tom herman to be this offensive mastermind this offensive genius and it never really materialized it never really uh showed out on the field we talked about it I mean, I think Greg Ward got Tom Herman a ton of extra credit uh, when they were at Houston. But I think for, like, you saw it happen on the field at the highest level where, like, the the play that'll stick out to me is, and this is this is terrible for a non-visual medium, but, like, there's a play early in the half or early in the game where Alabama lined up in, in trips to the short side of the field and then ran a guy in motion across to create one-on-one matchups with a fantastic skill player. Now, for Texas, imagine all of those jerseys are burnt orange and the guy going in motion is Jordan Whittington, right? Imagine it's Jake Smith. Imagine it's Bijan coming out of the backfield to a, a wide-open long side of the field with a linebacker covering him. Like, the, the way that Sark creates mismatches and create space with alignment is stuff that I want to see carry over. And he said it in his presser that like, and this is the, the, the biggest flex, like the biggest humble brag was like, everybody in the world is watching my coat, my tape right now. Mm-hmm. Like what a flex. And he's, <laughs> he, he's referring to that game. He's also referring to like that YouTube clip that just went viral about him talking about the spread RPO. Yeah. Um, but like that to me is beautiful. And, and, I even go back to something he said in that video in kind of his coaching philosophy about like how he's a run first guy. And even like that speaks to what people want Texas football to be for better or for worse. And especially with the horses that you got in the stable, you know, you know, you got Roshan, um, you know, you got Bijan, you may have Keontae. You don't, we don't really know. He said he's, he hasn't said he's transferring yet. His name's not in the portal yet, uh, but he did opt out of the season because of an injury. Potentially LJ Johnson coming on campus. More on that as soon as it happens. But, like, with the horses that he's going to have in the stable and the, the kids, and we'll talk about a commitment in just a moment, but, like, watching – this should be like watching a kid in a candy store. An offensive coach with the skill positions – you knock Tom Herman for not developing and coaching, but that dude recruited three real good classes. And so watching Sark with some of the offensive skill that Tom Herman is able to bring to campus is going to be fun. Yeah, I, I won't won't believe, uh, beleaguer it too, too much because I think, like I said, we saved some of that hashtag content. We got good, uh, I think uh, President Hartzell said it in his, his opening remarks, 265 days and counting until the, the first Sarkeesian uh, hook'em era football game. So we will spread that out a bit. But, yeah, I mean, players who can play fast, uh, we'll talk about one of those in a moment, but it makes me think of Kelvante Dixon, just guys that maybe aren't household names, but in a Sarkeesian offense, um, guys who are good four-stars and live up to that, you won't see as many, I don't think. You won't see as many who who fizzle out of it and play like three-stars. I think you're going to see him play like four-stars and maybe five-stars, right? Your five-star guys, again, in his offense, they win Heisman. So, I mean, it's... it's, um, it's all the reason to be excited. I, he did mention as well that he wants to attack the same way, that same all gas, no breaks mentality in each of the phases of the game, which I appreciate. He said he has uh, a vision for how defenses should play to counter kind of the offensive style that he has and to be uh, attacking style defense and same for special teams. So again, uh, that's promising. And I think getting the right coaches in there and all those things, again, more to come. Um, but again, just the general vision, um, being an attacking team, if there's one thing over Tom Herman's era that I never want to see again, it's just toying with teams that you have no business being with, you know, within 
four scores of and losing some of those games and winning some of them in, in just heart like attack fashion. The foot on the gas mentality with the talent again should mean at the very least we're going to look like Oklahoma where we might lose some sure against big 12 teams, but we're going to blow out more than we don't. And, and eventually, you know, hopefully soon surpass Oklahoma to be that big 12 team that's in the playoff picture. So again, drink of the Kool-Aid excited. We'll leave it there for the, the, the intro Sark. So the first big splash of the Sarkeesian era actually happened about two hours prior to his introduction. So we got, we got a, uh, we got an eyes tweet from, uh, from coach Andre Coleman, who take your shots at Andre Coleman all you want, but the dude was the primary recruiter here. But, um, we got an eyes tweet early in the day and then right about two o'clock ish on Tuesday, a bomb dropped on recruiting Twitter that, uh, four-star top 100 wide receiver Armani Winfield from Louisville, Texas, committed to the Longhorns, long thought to be an Ohio State guy. I think five of the six crystal balls were pointing to Ohio State. He was rumored to be one of the kids that Ewers was going to take with him to Ohio State. But Texas got a big skill position player. And that's going to be the early calling card, I think, for Steve Sarkeesian uh, as he recruits. Again, number 79 player overall, number 12 wide receiver in the country, number 14 player in the great state of Texas. 6'2", 180, a big play guy for Texas. Actually recruited at, uh, committed at halftime to Coach Andre Coleman, which is absolutely incredible. No, it was a good game all around for for UT focus, I guess. But uh, just an absolute burner. I just talked about the speed uh, that Sarkeesian likes in his offense, and this feels like a Sarkeesian guy. I mean, I think if you watch the first half, again, especially if you're committed to the other team, uh, it's an easy decision to say, I want to go play in the other guy's offense. But, um, you know, Winfield is a guy who has, you know, he's a track guy. He's a guy who's put up incredible uh, times and numbers, and he's just going to burn people and again those receivers i talked about Cavante dixon earlier but those receivers you can take the top off a of defense um open it up for whoever the texas quarterback is um and, and just you know i think if it's not next year then in the next couple of years you're going to be talking about armani winfield being one of those big big play you know more than half a dozen maybe 10 eight ten touchdowns a season guy just taking the top off a of defense and it's uh it's exciting i like those guys he got to watch Devonta Smith set bowl records in the first half. Mm-hmm. And he's basically, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say he's as talented as a guy who's going to be a top five pick in the NFL draft, who was the first receiver in what feels like a million years to win the highs. I'm not going to put him on that same, but he's cut from similar cloth. Mm. And so watching that cat break records in the first half, if he hadn't, if he hadn't had the dislocated finger, he would have absolutely shattered every bowl record that exists because Sark wouldn't take his foot off the gas. And so Mm -hmm. like that to me is what should, I think is going to turn into recruiting momentum for Texas. Uh, And our friend Mike Roach said it uh, on two, four, seven, you can check it out. But like now is the time for Texas to put their sights on the big, the big dogs. If Sark is not at the Westlake Southlake game this weekend, (laughs) rubbing palms with the Dodges, trying to, trying to get in a word, with old Quinn Ewers, like that's that's where he, like that's where he needs to be. That's where he's gonna make his money. And again, if he's not, if, if Ewers is completely sold to Ohio State, fine, whatever that whatever. Um, but there are players that I think 
you know, you've got you got Malik Murphy out on the West Coast that already has a relationship with Sark, who's already kind of sniffing around Texas a little bit. So, like, there's a, there's an opportunity for Sark to strike where the iron is super hot. Both, I think, yeah. um, to to clean up a little bit in 21, and then obviously hit the ground running really fast for 22. That's what I was gonna say. Big game hunting, I think, for 22. I think 21. You know, if they get LZ Johnson, anyone else is a, is a is a plus. I don't know at this stage in the game, you're just going to get 12 new recruits or, you know, there's been talk about guys getting out of LOIs. I wouldn't look at that. And that's what Roach said. He listened to our podcast with him last week, but he used the phrase big game hunting. And I think that's right. I think getting that 22 momentum, I mean, the new car smell, Texas recruits, you know, itself when there's nothing in the way, right? Texas has to impede itself. And so whenever you have a new coach and the optimism, like we were talking about the top of the show is there, uh, it's easy to recruit. So capitalize on that, right? Get your staff in place, of course, get the right guys, get them evaluated, but just start putting some names and some names that, like you said, make that momentum, create gravity that pull other players to it um, and get out there and put your stake in the ground early. We run the state um, in, in, you know, make the the all all gas no breaks the 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 new texas twitter recruiting hashtag uh that 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 upsets the other i won't say half quarter whatever it is of of maroon tinged uh twitter and just drives them into an absolute tizzy i think that the staff is the big thing right because there's not a ton of like firm word on what the staff is going to be really the only two actual confirmed members of the new staff are Andre Coleman and Stan Drayton. And so one of those two already picked up a commitment. And so you might see LJ Johnson walking around campus in a couple of days. You don't know that. That's the funniest thing to me in the world is that like, he's just going to show up. He's going to sign financial aid papers and just show up. And I'm totally cool with that. I said it in our our Slack channel, like some random freshman (laughs) in an English seminar of 500 people is going to break that on Snapchat. And it's going to be hilarious. No, I love that. I also love that Sark is, is treating this like a proper business. Mac Brown, the ultimate CEO head coach, um, maybe teaching a little bit there, but it's a, business right if you're if you want to be one of those coordinator positions who you bringing with you what's your book of business what's your what's your contact list looking like i like it you know if you're gonna stick around like i expect a big name attached to it uh coleman's gone in so you're right it just makes sense that stan drayton uh has one in the chamber as well again fingers crossed speculism we're we're, we're not breaking anything here speculation but uh excitement nonetheless there's no such thing as a no sale call that's put that on the wall. So we'll obviously keep up with all of the football comings and goings, whether it's recruits, whether it's coaches, as they develop. Coffee's for closers. So over the weekend, basketball was played. There was a lot of basketball played. Um, the big game of the weekend, number four men's basketball, in spite of playing a quite ugly game, I'm going <laughs> to just go ahead and say it, managed to pull out a last second dagger over the West Virginia Mountaineers in Morgantown. 72 to 70, not 72 to 20, like it says in our show notes, 72 to 70. Uh, Andrew Jones hit a massive three from the corner. And really, the crazy thing about that is that Courtney Ramey drove in and collapsed the entire defense because he had attacked, um, I think, 
I think our friend Bitter White Guy said it on Twitter. Um, Raimi was in ball of knives mode <laughs> when he was playing, and so like the entire D collapsed. Literally all five guys collapsed on Raimi. So he had his choice of man, picked Andrew Jones in the corner, who absolutely drained it, then hit the Sam Cassell celebration to give Texas its second lead of the game, uh, which happened to be uh, with like 12 minutes left in the first half. Raimi and Jones are the guys you want to talk about here. They're, they're, we'll talk about some more, but um, it, we're going to talk about Jones, and deservedly so. But I think a lot of credit goes to, to Raimi and how he played in this game. I think, here, look, here's my take. I think a lot of credit for this win ultimately rolls up to Andrea Hootie. We talked about her a lot, but just Ramey's strength, the amount, I mean, the, the play that basically worked all game for them and not because of anything genius. It just kept working and it was there and they gave it to us and it worked, but it was Ramey getting to the rim and driving like, or excuse me, getting to the rim and, 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 and scoring. He got to the line, hit five or six from there, kicked out when he needed, but it's that strength. We talked about in our preseason, finishing at the rim and getting to the rim where the, you know, what was needed for this team to, to, to take it to the next level. And then, oh, on top of that, Ramey accounted for two-thirds of all the team's assist in this one. Um, so I thought just great. I thought, again, being able to take that beating, just playing good defense, like that stamina the uh, to play both ends hard the whole game. I thought he put in uh, an incredible performance, one of his his best of the season, uh, without a doubt. And we, we talked about it in the preview. We've talked about it literally in every time we've talked about the Texas basketball team. Texas's aggression will lead them to wins. And in this case, Texas's aggression leading them to wins was that Courtney Ramey was nails in the paint. He drove, he forced the defense to account for him extra, and that turned into five guys collapsing on him. And that's the reason why Texas won the game. It's because Courtney Ramey was aggressive the whole dang time, and West Virginia had to account for that. They, they thought... I mean, and rightfully so, that Ramey was going to try to go for the game winner because everybody and their grandma expected it. And honestly, when he started driving, I was like, please just pass the ball. Please just pass the ball. Because, like, Texas had a couple of one-pass possessions or no-pass possessions toward the end of that game, and that frustrated me because they felt like wasted, wasted chances. And so when he drove, I was like, man, kick it out to somebody. And then as soon as the ball came out of his hands and Andrew Jones shot it, I knew the game was over because Andrew Jones on the third anniversary of the news breaking that he had been diagnosed with leukemia mm. absolutely puts a dagger in the heart of the Mountaineer faithful. And I loved to watch it. Loved to watch it. Felt real good. Unbelievable. We love narrative. That was unbelievable narrative on the on that anniversary that he did that. And three seemed to be, I'm not into symbology necessarily, but that seemed to be the uh, the number, right? Because uh, Andrew Jones hit some from there. He was four or seven. The rest of the Longhorns were 0 for 12 from deep. And I mean, that basically, the fact that they won a game, and that's where you, you, know, you, you hope Jace Febres maybe gets back, has, you know, cracks that rotation if, if he's close, as they said, to, to feeling better, or, you know, if it's just no one else can hit them, it, it's tough. But, hey, they won a game where they just could not hit. They did not hit a three-pointer in the second half until that Andrew Jones game winner. Um, you know, so a lot of uh, a lot of facts on that one, really interesting. I mean, the, the game winner was their first lead since 19-18, to 18, with, I think, about 12 minutes to go in the first half. Um, just... Really, really crazy. Also, by the way, earlier in that game on a three-pointer, Andrew Jones became the 39 Texas player to crack a thousand. So, the three-ball, even when they aren't good at it, still, I guess, drives the narrative and tells the story. <clears throat> but 
Texas has to. This is probably the best, the best big man team, the best in the paint team they'll play this year. Um, this was the one I, I certainly was was worried about um, to see if if Texas really could be dominant. And, and Jericho Sims fouled out, I think, in 16, 17 minutes after two really great performances back to back. You know, you didn't necessarily see that, but I, I'm not so so mad because, and we'll talk about him. Greg Brown is out here just earning paychecks, like. Kawhi once said, "Boardman gets paid." Uh, Greg Brown took that to heart. He, you're a lottery pick, my dude. Lottery pick, my dude. You do not need to be just absolutely crashing the board with with that abandon. If I'm a lottery pick and I go 0 for four from three and just am having an off night, I may not be because I understand there's millions of dollars coming to me regardless. I may not be working as hard as I was, and I I think that's why. Out of all our one and dones, Greg Brown is probably going to be one that engenders himself the most to fans. Hey, sure, success goes a long way with that too. Um, but you know, I think for sure, Greg Brown is is going to be beloved for a long time by Longhorns. I mean, the personality does him extra favors there, and then his play, the energy he brings. He's just a guy who seems to be having a ton of fun playing and being a Texas Longhorn, and that's uh, that's showing on the court. I think we're seeing that on the court where Texas, where he is turning that energy into uh, positive momentum. And, and even in games where he's not as sharp as he um, could and maybe should be, depending on who you ask, like it's really impressive to see a young kid who's kind of a bit of a spark for Texas in, you know, in the starting lineup. And I think you mentioned for not being really a, like healthy and playing like this is a Texas team that's not even optimized at this point. Mm. Like that's the crazy thing about it is this Texas team is probably better than, than what we've seen obviously in, in recent history, but like without their probably one of their best two shooters, probably safe to say, like, I think Jason Fabreskin is the guy who will be the, you know, Andrew Jones went four of seven. Everybody else was, was scoreless from three point range. I think with Fabreskin, that number changes, but like, you know, GB three really crushed it. And it, it, again, this was a, this was a top-to-bottom effort. You know, Sims struggled uh, with fouls and didn't play a ton. Um, but then Kai Jones came in and kind of backfilled him really, really impressively. And Kai Jones, on on some sequences, yeah. was really key. Like, uh, there was there was kind of a, a both-ends sequence from him that was really, really impressive. And so, again, I think Shaka has finally figured out what it's going to take to win in the Big 12, and, and he's executing on it. Kai Jones, by the way, he's been sneaking up on into the first round and 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 counting on a lot of mock draft boards, and he reminds me just his stats versus his his kind of lore around him reminds me of a guy who comes from like not even one of the really big um, European leagues, uh, not Luka Doncic in in Real Madrid, but like some guy from you know. Zagreb or somewhere in Croatia uh, who just puts up like, you know, not the craziest numbers. You're like, he has 12 points and two steals a game and, and five rebounds and five assists. Okay. I don't necessarily see it. Then you watch his tape and you're just like, Holy goodness. This is, this guy is, is, is a gem. And that's how I feel every time Kai Jones is on the floor, he just does really athletic, hyper athletic, special things. And he's going to be one of those guys who goes really high in the draft and doesn't have, you know, a, a, bunch of 20 point games backing it. He's just that good. Um, enjoy him while you got him. Cause I think he and Greg Brown may be a draft package uh, coming up in a few months, but uh, yeah, I mean this team with COVID with, uh, with some injuries, with some transfers from the depth we talked about in the beginning, we're, we're seeing why you needed every bit of it. Um, and, and, and I really think um, 
you know, with Sims fouling out and stuff like that, they and not hitting the three, this was maybe the gutsiest win. And just looking ahead at their schedule, it's not easy. They have road uh, wins. The Big 12 is a grind. This next game with Tech is a is going to be a tough one. Tech's playing really well. But after that, they get Kansas State uh, at home, Iowa State, TCU, OU at home before they take on Kentucky. Who Come on, Kentucky. We know they're not good this year. Before hitting Baylor. They could legitimately be on like an – you know, eight and one uh, type of streak from the beginning of the year until the time they meet Baylor, the beginning of uh, February, I think February 2nd. So this is a really interesting stretch to watch kind of zoom out from a macro level that will say a lot about Texas's season uh, in the next few games and uh, what they can do from here on out. So Andrew Jones got a ton of credit both uh, regionally and nationally for the seventh buzzer beater in the last two years under Shaka Smart, named Big 12 and NCAA Player of the Week. Greg Brown, for his double-double, for his efforts, was also named Big 12 Newcomer of the Week. So a lot of awards as Texas takes on a red-hot number 15 Texas Tech Wednesday, the day you're listening to this, in the drum. Quickly, we do have to talk about the women who struggled. This was not a great outing for number 17 women's basketball. It was the worst defeat uh, in the short uh, Vic Schaefer era, 92-58, to which is just absolutely not great. Uh, Charlie Collier struggled with fouls. They, they struggled. There's no two ways around it. It was not a good look, and, and it seems like it might be a little bit until they were able to get, get the taste out of their mouth on this one. We know how important Charlie Collier is to this team. When she picked up fouls and, and – um went out it, it changed the complexity of this game entirely West Virginia a team who was ranked and, and has fallen out and I think maybe we'll had something to prove maybe they they knew what the men's team was going to do and just took out their revenge um but uh it was tied 16 16 when when Collier picked up her third foul which again she has to work on staying on the court she's one of the best players in the country, obviously. Um, but they were outscored 68 to 40 with her off the court. And that basically is your, you know, for the most part, the difference in the game and the score right there. Um, I, I'm going to chalk this one up to, I feel like Popovich's Spurs always have like a playoff game where they lose to the other team by like 28. And you're just like, well, they're done. And then they win three in a row after it. So I'm going to be optimistic here and think, Schaefer, uh, Schaefer will not allow this to, to define the program. They have a couple winnable ones coming up. They, they could get the next two, three, you know, four in a row. Um, they should be favored in all of those. They did drop to number 21, but they are, should be favored in all of those. And there is some scheduling weirdness. If you're looking at it, the Baylor Kansas women's basketball game was scheduled for again, Wednesday, when you're listening to this COVID postponed Baylor. Um, so they flipped around a bunch of teams. Longhorns now host Kansas, uh, Thursday, the 14th in Austin and the TCU Texas game, which originally got moved up is now moved back to the 20th. So hopefully that didn't confuse you go to texassports.com and look up the, the women's schedule. If I made it more confusing on this audio medium, but basically they have Kansas tech TCU and Iowa state, uh, in the next week and a half and a chance to, uh, to get some, get this taste out of their mouth. Like you said, Joe. So that's the part of the show where we clean up all of the other news items and we down the 40. This third segment is going to be so long. Buckle up. So uh, real quick, Joseph Osai picked up his fifth All-American honor, meaning that he is as consensus All-American, which is good to have. He also uh, was named a finalist for the Lot Impact Trophy, which is the first since uh, our, our friend of the show, Sam Macho, in 2011. Um 
Dele Adeoye, our friend, um, hit the transfer portal. Uh, Mike Yursich officially announces the new offensive coordinator at Penn State. So a little bit of football news to clean up off the top. Uh, men's tennis opened the spring season with winning both singles and doubles um, at the Bama shootout. Uh, Mississippi State had to pull out due to COVID issues, but uh, Elliot, uh, what, what did we decide on the pronunciation for for Elliot's last name? Spaziri. Uh, Elliot Spaziri and Micah <laughs> Braswell shared uh, the top honor, honors in the the first flight singles after each going three nil on the day. Uh, Leighton Allen took the second flight, also with a three nothing uh, record, won all three matches there in double Spaziri. And uh, our friend CM Woldab yep. uh, captured the top flight for nothing, while Braswell and uh, Cleve Harper, which is just a great name, won the second flight. So now Texas will host Louisiana and SMU in Austin this weekend. And also for Texas women's tennis, Gerald, you know I'm a big fan of the the women's sports here. They were picked number one. Rankings haven't come out nationally, but for the Big Twelve coaches, third straight year they got seven out of nine possible. You can't vote for yourself. Um, in two second place votes, they last year remember were eleven and three, finished number four in the last uh, poll that came out March tenth. Uh, Anna Tarati was an All American in that one. She chose to come back, which is amazing. She finished number four herself. And then UT's freshman class was ranked number one in the nation. The first time they've had that since rankings uh, for women's tennis really were first published, I think, in two thousand five. So a great class on top of with three top ten Charlotte. Uh, Let's say Chivatapon, Matika Rapolo, and Peyton Stearns all in the top 10 to join uh, again what was the number four team last year, bringing almost everyone back. So exciting things for the women's team. We're talking about national championship stuff there too. We need to know if it's the va, the T, or the pon that is going to be the emphasis on that. There could be three possible <laughs> spots on that name. Uh, but moving on to a name we do know, we do know how to pronounce. Uh, baseball's Ty Madden was uh, named a perfect game preseason All-American in 25 innings of a COVID-shortened season. Uh, he pitched 25 stri- strikeouts to just four walks, which is really, really, really impressive. Do that again, Ty. Absolutely. Him and left-hander. Pete uh, Hansen were both also named to the college baseball's preseason All-American second team. Um, so our, our arms should be good, even losing some talent uh, this year. The baseball team, we can't wait till we get to preview them. I'm excited. Baseball, like I'm legitimately excited for that team this year. I think I think there's 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 enough to make a run on that team in a big way. Absolutely. We'll see you in Omaha. Uh, track announces indoor schedule. Uh, the Corky Classic will actually be this weekend uh, as you're listening to this in the second week of January. Houston Invitational uh, on the 29th and 30th of January. The Charlie Thomas Invitational on the 6th in College Station. Get out of there quick. Big 12 Indoors will be on the 26th and 27th of February in Lubbock. Texas will also make three trips to one of the other top cities in track and field. Fayetteville, Arkansas for the Arkansas Invitational on the 22nd of January. The Tyson Invitational February 12th and 13th. And then the NCAA Indoors March 12th and 13th. So a lot on the schedule for the indoor track season. All right, Gerald, let's go now to the Burn Orange lens as we take a look at the rest of the Burn Orange world through our rosy Burnt Orange all gas, no brakes lenses. A, a, a story that was a feel-good one that I think a lot of people have been waiting a long time for. Kenneth Sims finally uh, inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. The Grossbeck Texas 
native. Uh, it was a, a force from the moment he got on campus as a, a freshman, four seasons, uh, just at the heart of that defense, 322 tackles, 29 sacks, 50 TFLs, 15 forced fumbles, three block kicks, just did it all uh, enough so that he won the Lombardi Award and went number one overall in the 1982 NFL draft. He's the 24th Longhorn inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame, fourth in the most recent five classes this is the history that we talk about with the university of texas like this is the history that hopefully um sark can build the longhorns back to and i, I really uh, i'm excited to see his his take at it yeah and, and specifically the history gerald and i have talked about once on this podcast maybe we'll do a deep dive texas maybe sleeping slept on as defensive tackle you they uh, have a strong claim there um, speaking of some defensive tackles, look at that transition. The Longhorns in the NFL playoffs, there was a whole grip of them. Uh, two of them who play in the interior line for the New Orleans Saints were able to get a 21-9 victory, move on to the next round over the Chicago Bears. Malcolm Brown had three tackles, um, and uh, Malcolm Roach will be joining him uh, in the divisional round against Tampa Bay. Uh, and Lil Jordan Humphrey actually had in that game. One catch for 14 yards. You love to see it. That was a that that catch from LJ was actually a uh, like a really impactful catch, which was crucial first down on on Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon. <laughs> what a wild wild concept. Um, indoctrinate him young. I love it. It was uh, so much fun. Did you watch it? Yeah, I, I watched some of it, but it was amazing. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, in in less exciting news, the Seahawks with all their Longhorns will be going home. Uh, Mike Dixon, never want to see it. Eight punts in this one, but did average 56 on each of them, along of 71, three inside the 20. Uh, again, maybe they just needed to punt more, uh, and they could have come back from the 10-point uh, deficit. They lost 30-20. to 20. Puna Ford himself had four tackles, adding to his season tally, um, and Quandre Diggs had five tackles, so uh, a lot to like on the Seahawks this year. Wish they could have kept going, because that's that's Longhorn Central up in the Northwest. Yeah, the Rams are kind of just their bugaboo this year, and it was really weird. I think they were one of the best teams in the NFL, but like the Rams just matched up with them perfectly. But the Rams, uh, those Rams did have uh, the other Malcolm Brown at running back. Uh, he had nine carries, 30 yards, one catch for nine yards. They will move on to take uh, take on Green Bay uh, in the divisional round. Um, the Ravens, America's team now, uh, <laughs> beat the Tennessee Titans. Uh, in in, I'm just gonna say it. This was my favorite game I've watched in a long time. Uh, they they responded to Tennessee dancing on their logo by dancing on Tennessee's logo after securing the game uh, winning interception basically in the fourth quarter uh, and just stomped the yard all over it. And it was amazing. And I love this team with all of my fiber. If I have one complaint, it's just get Devin Duvernay the ball more. He had one kick return for 20 yards, but uh, you know, that's, that's my only real gripe, uh, but they like to run the ball and they do it real, real well uh, with Lamar or backs, but uh, they will be taking on Buffalo uh, in the next round. Deshaun Elliott had four tackles in that one, one PBU, Justin Tucker, Natch, uh, had uh, a couple 50-yarders uh, in this one. Um, Tennessee Titans in that loss. Foreman had no stats. Marcus Johnson signed for the one game. Didn't get get the field, but Jeff Swaim did have a catch 
one for five. Kenny Vaccaro, probably the best Longhorn in that game, though. Actually, nine tackles, six solo in that one. Okafor will be waiting uh, for the Cleveland Browns. They had a bye this week, and that marks your Longhorns in the NFL. Quite a few of them. Quite a few of them moving on. So a lot to a uh, lot to watch for. I don't get super invested in the NFL until this point in the season. So it's it's the time where I get to sit down and dial in, especially if they keep putting games on Nickelodeon. <laughs> That's uh, I think who is Mitch Trubisky is the the inaugural MVP the Nickelodeon uh, VP uh, valuable player so uh, good for Mitch Sean Payton's coolest moment of his life he got slimed after the game that's uh, that actually sounds like a very New Orleans slang term oh man my man got slimed anyways um, Longhorns in the NBA is a new segment because there have been uh, you know about a not quite a dozen games going on. Uh, we have 11 players spread across 10 teams. We'll start with the Nets. This is going to be your most longhorn in this team. If you want to root for somebody, two starters, both from UT. Kevin Durant uh, missed a couple games for COVID, but in the 60s played. I think he's third in the league, averaging 28.2, seven rebounds and just under five assists uh, in this early start. So looking real good coming back off of injury. And then Jared Allen. Dude averaging a double-double, 11.6 points, 11 rebounds, and 1.6 blocks a game. Had a game against the Jazz earlier where he had 19 points, 18 rebounds, 3 steals, 2 blocks. Just looking like a monster. Currently 10th in the NBA in rebounds, 8th in in blocks. Gerald, are you ready to be a Nets fan? I follow players, not teams, in the NBA because I found myself cheering for laundry at one point. So (laughs) the generous team with the most Longhorns, it gets my attention. Fair enough. If you want to cheer for a player, though, Gerald, there is a player who is doing unbelievable things right now to the University of Texas. I'm talking, of course, about Miles Turner. He's averaging so far through nine games, 12.2.6 rebounds, but 4.1 blocks per game and and 1.4 steals. He has had two eight-block games out of his first nine. (laughs) That's stupid. He's he's a block and a half per game more than anyone else in the NBA, swatting a record if he were to sustain it, 11.8% of all the opponent's two-point attempts. Manute Bowl currently holds that record at 10.8. He's top 15 in steals and deflections per game. Basically, their new coach is just running a defense that funnels and dares, uh, unlike other teams that try to keep people out of the paint. Hashtag analytics. He's just running people off the line and saying, try to get past Miles Turner. And so far, it's worked brilliantly. Seeing as the NBA season might end tomorrow, it's all (laughs) in all possible that he will take that record. Defensive player of the season, defensive MVP, Miles Turner. Honestly, had a shout for it last year, but uh, neither here nor there. Lamarcus Aldridge, uh, also coming back from a shoulder injury, has played six games. Spurs have been kind of slow to integrate him in. He's averaging 14.7, four and a half boards, two assists. His best game came against the reigning champion Lakers, 28 points, five rebounds, three assists when he kind of pushed them over the top there. The Spurs are five and one, I think five and two now, actually, uh, with him in the lineup. So looking good for, for Lamarcus. There's a lot of Longhorns coming back from injury uh, in this one. So so good to see some guys playing well to start. Anytime we get to see Texas players at the professional ranks, love to see it. There's a lot of big men in this list. Another one, Tristan Thompson in 10 games, averaging 8-8, eight and 8.4 eight, eight, 8. points, 8.5 rebounds, currently out uh, for a week for contact tracing. You'll hear that a couple times come up again. Uh, Avery Bradley, who sat out, uh, not coming off an injury, but coming off sitting out the bubble, um, has played seven games for the Heat. He's arrived and basically just fit in perfectly. 10 points, uh, two rebounds, and two assists per game. Spolstra basically said he's come in and played immediately like an all-NBA defender, and they have a couple of them uh, there. So so that's uh, that's really good, but he is currently out 
also for contact tracing. Uh, again, that's that's the theme. Uh, DJ Augustin, six points, uh, two assists, or three assists, two rebounds. P.J. Tucker, uh, 6.6, 5.4 rebounds. Jackson Hayes, not getting a ton, averaging just uh, three points, three and a half rebounds, but has like somehow three highlights a game. He's putting up highlights. And my favorite stat of this one, Gerald, Corey Joseph has played all 10 games this season. He's averaging 7.8 points, 2.5 assists, and rebounds. He currently, after Joe Ingles sat out, became the NBA's active Ironman leader, playing 275 consecutive games. In the era of COVID, that may never happen again. So Corey Joseph, you know, may be the the champ for a while. And then uh, Mo Bamba, again, coming back from injury. Three games uh, limited, but uh, he had a 12-7 against the Rockets. They'll move him back in slowly. Another big getting back into the mix for the Horns. As a university that that kind of gets dumped on for its pro prospects in both the NFL and the NBA, there are a lot of guys playing on Sundays. And, well, in the NBA, it's like every other night. But that's <laughs> their conversation. Yeah, a lot of starters, too, which is good. I think out of the, like, 11 that are playing, like, seven or eight of them, maybe even nine are starting So um, when healthy. So it's great to see. Godzilla Tron Gerald, besides slimed on your uh, on your Sunday NFL playoff game, what are you watching on your giant screen? Uh, so I'm not doing a ton of watching as it stands right now. I'm trying to, one of my goals is to read uh, a book every six weeks. And so I'm still trudging through and not trudging through. It's actually a really good read, uh, but I'm still going through the accidental creative, uh, that, that book that we talked about a little bit last mm-hmm. week. Um, I am rocking some audio books and some podcasts as I like, you know, I don't drive anywhere cause <laughs> COVID. So, but like, as I like fold laundry or wash dishes because that's all you do during this lockdown period um katie nolan's podcast really really good if you don't listen to Hmm. katie nolan's podcast is just called sports question mark (laughs) (laughs) so it's a good one to check out um and then again you're gonna wave your nerd flag on me but the star wars is doing this new old republic thing that i'm getting in on so enjoying it so far it's been a big multimedia deal having a good time with it so those audiobooks are hitting my ears as well my favorite nerd um i uh i've actually my podcast consumption has gone down a lot because i don't have a commute and uh you know it's basically when i'm doing yard work and it's so cold i'm not doing a whole lot of yard work and uh you know it, it occasionally we'll, we'll throw them in the house but i feel like rude when, when my wife's sitting there and i'm like just got her zoned out because we're always next to each other at all times 24 7 i love it it's great always always um anyway so uh the uh the main thing we have been watching as i mentioned last week breaking bad we've now got to the final season and i'm just yeah the show is so good um i this the fourth season kind of acceleration of plot and the way they just keep you on the edge of your seat that goes straight into the fifth season and just literal anxiety sweating while watching it is amazing um it's like being inside of a nascar going around and not being able to hold the steering wheel it's just a wild wild edge of your seat ride um more more surprise turns than nascar it's always left but uh, nonetheless still still a thrilling uh a thrilling thrilling feeling i'm excited we'll have more to report when we finish that one, but that's pretty much all I've had time to watch. Uh, so that's it for me. I love it. So close this out, Kyle. It's a part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, big Bertha. And we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? So recently the volleyball standings came out, Gerald, and, um, they, 
basically looked at teams who played and hadn't played and projected forward. So it's kind of preseason for the spring is what they called them, but it obviously factored in what they'd done in the fall. So I'm going to count them in here, but it got me thinking. We basically wrapped up the fall um, and, and there was, you know, eight national sports hockey's kind of a regional sport and soccer men's and women's did choose not to rank this year they didn't rank at all so there was eight team sports that are national that assigned rankings and so i thought i was going to do a little digging and see because it seemed like texas did pretty good in a lot of those sports um and i was right gerald in in the eight sports are football men's and women's basketball volleyball men's and women's swimming and men's and women's cross country Gerald, quick quiz in the middle of my banging the drum. How many teams in the country were ranked in all eight of those sports? One. You are correct. One team, that being the University of Texas, was ranked in all eight of those sports. There was one team with seven, Michigan, and two teams with six, Stanford and NC State, but only Texas uh, was ranked. Stanford. (laughs) Well, here's the problem, Gerald. So I got creative and I said okay I'm going to assign reverse point total so for every first place which again Texas uh, is currently first in both men's and women's uh, swimming we we own that sport utterly and completely um, so you know you would in that sense get 25 points uh, for each correct um, they you know are, are ranked very high in men's basketball so they get 22 points uh, they are uh, ranked very high in uh, volleyball. Again, they came out two there. I think I buried that lead, but number two there. Um, so you get 24 points. So basically, if you can if you can follow my math there, my logic, um, I went through and assigned across the eight sports, and there are only three teams that are over 100 points. NC State, surprisingly, um, at 104, Texas at 113, and then Stanford. Again, women's basketball and men's football hurting us. Also, cross country. We barely got ranked, um, but you know we were ranked. Uh, those three sports hurt us because Stanford has some really high ones where they uh, are ranked really high in women's basketball, volleyball, um, and uh, the swimmings, and actually the cross countries. So they're, they're very good in those as well. So they went the opposite route from us. They were not ranked in football. So um, just thought that was interesting. Texas, we continue to say, is more than just a football school. We are a sports school. Um, you heard us say that the uh, women's tennis team ranked number one in the Big 12. There's a good chance they're going to have a top five ranking um, next to their name in the uh, in this sport. We won't talk about that, but obviously baseball, really excited. Softball, I think, is potentially very much a national championship caliber team. We'll see what each of the golf teams who have had top 10 finishes um, should be very good uh, when they get ranked in the spring. So um, there's like a a really good chance that Texas could have, I don't know, I'm just going to say it, like four, maybe five top four finishes this season alone. Had its first in school history in a major sport. (laughs) Say that again for the people in the back. Texas A&M had its first top four finish in a major sport in school history. Wow. So that would mean they haven't won anything if they have never finished top four. Never. I mean, they've claimed some stuff that happened like pre-World War One, but that's neither here nor there. We have our national championship you know, reunions at you know, VY Steakhouse. They have theirs at Arlington <laughs> National. I'm not sure. <laughs> Was that too much? That might have been too much. Whatever, I'm going with it. Uh, so I'm banging the drum this week on, well, two quick things. Again, this I'm double dipping again. One, big ups to Roshan Johnson for getting admitted to Macomb. So shout out to Roshan for that. Okay. Love seeing the student in the student athlete highlighted as well. But I'm banging the drum this week 
on putting a moratorium on the BS that happens on, on Longhorn discourse. There's this weird thing that happens where like Texas fans seem to just eat our own. You know, we, we argue, we bicker, we go back and forth. We like the coach. We don't like the coach. We like the quarterback. We don't like the quarterback, but like this is a season of change and a season of new arrivals. So I want you all for just a, just a, just a couple of months like give us at least until spring practice before you start up with the BS. The 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 Longhorns have not even seen a playbook yet. They've even got a PDF attached to an Sark has spent probably 12 hours on campus. So like let's for the immediate future just all get in line behind a program and university that we absolutely love, that we want the best for and hope and pray for the best of the best for Steve Sarkeesian. It's just like the president. I always want the president to win regardless of the party, right? Because when the, when the president wins, the country wins. When the coach wins, the Longhorns win. And so I want the coach to win regardless of my own personal feelings about anything. I want the coach to win because that means that I get to shut up all the Sooners that I hang out with. Yes. Hate the other teams. Don't hate the people amongst you. Don't hate your own. Brilliantly said, Gerald. Couldn't agree more. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at G.H. Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Choose an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next week, all gas, no brakes. House Sark. Winter is coming.